Once upon a time, there was a podcast. It was presented by two very likable guys who had lots of good ideas for new episodes. One day, they had a really good idea. They invited two colleagues, Paulina and Alberto, to come on the show and talk about equity stories and credit stories. What's an equity story? said Alar. And what's a credit story? he added. Wait, this sounds like a fairy tale. Well, I've, I've been reading lots of fairy stories to my daughter, maybe that's why. Personally, I enjoy thrillers. How, how about this? Paulina and Alberto burst into the podcast studio. Quick, said Matt breathlessly. Press record before it's too late. Both those stories get you interested in finding out what happens next. They make you want to read or listen right to the end. Well, let's hope so. Uh, do you think that's what an equity story and a credit story are about, too? It's time we asked our experts on this episode of A Dictionary of Finance. This is A Dictionary of Finance from the European Investment Bank, and we're here today with Alberto Casarati and Paulina Brzezicka. Did I get that name right? You got it right. I get special Polish points today for that, don't I? Well, Alberto is an advisor in the Innovation Finance Division at the European Investment Bank who focuses on broadband and digital economy. Alberto used to work at Citibank and Intesa São Paulo in London in restructuring and corporate banking. What does restructuring mean, Alberto? Well, uh, restructuring is usually related to a company that is unable to repay their debt and they Ooh. need to renegotiate the terms of it. Ah, okay. He's, he's also a graduate of uh, Bocconi University in Milan. Everybody at the EIB has special talents, but I think Alberto may be the only one who has worked as a baker, baking bread mm. in a local ba bakery owned by his childhood friend. Paulina is also a culinary type with special talents. She's recently been making cheese from freshly sourced cow milk. What kind of cheese do, does that end up as? Just cottage cheese. Polish style, regular cottage cheese. Oh, that's a particular Polish thing? Is that kind it's, of cottage cheese? It's quite popular, yeah. Oh, do you have plans to move on to, you know, goat's cheese, chev, or things like that? What's your, what's your story? Try. What's the story? <laughs> Business story. Uh-huh, yes. <laughs> we will see. Maybe in the future I will uh, branch out. Mm, okay, <laughs> we'll follow that. Polina is also a graduate at Bocconi University. Uh, she has a double master from Bocconi and uh, Vienna University of Economics and Business. She started her career in the mergers and acquisitions advisory team at Bank of America Merrill Lynch in London. She moved to Luxembourg to join the European Investment Fund's private equity investment team, where she worked in a front office role on investments into European buyout funds. This is a very complicated bio. We need to break it down a little bit. Let's drill down into uh, Paulina here. First of all, what does front office mean? Well, you have um, front office and back office. Front office um, is where the execution happens of transactions, and mm -hmm. back office is um, everything else. So the front office is where you do the deal, and where the back office the is where you kind of process all the papers and things like that? Front office is where you meet the clients, right? Front office is where you meet the clients, exactly. Uh-huh. Of your buyout fund. What is a buyout fund? What are you buying? Um, well, the fund buys. So the mm. fund buys companies and then sells them. 
And the EIF, for example, is a fund of funds investor. That means that they invest in those funds. What kind of what kind of companies were they buying? Them? Oh, all sorts of companies. Companies that grow. Companies that uh, can oh, yeah? make money for the investors. Ah, okay. Best kind of companies. We love those kind of companies. <laughs> All right. Well, now Polina works in Innovation Finance Advisory at the European Investment Bank, advising innovative companies as well as working on studies on access to finance in sectors like bioeconomy, life sciences and circular economy. And we're going to get to some of those terms in another podcast that Paulina is going to do for us about bioeconomy and circular economy. So watch this space the space on your cell phone or wherever you keep your, your podcast. So it's not for nothing that we included some interesting facts about Alberto the baker and Paulina the cheesemaker today. It's because everyone, as we said, has a story. There's a story to the bread. There's a story to the cheese. And it is stories that get people, in this case our listeners, interested in something. Now that works for companies too. It gets investors interested, I suppose, is what we're going to get to here. And that brings us to the subject of today's podcast. Shall we start with, with Paulina? What is a story when we relate it to a company? We'll break it down into equity and, and debt or equity and credit afterwards. But what is the story that you're trying to tell about a company? Well, I think in, in the world of investments and in the world of finance, people are concerned with returns. So when we talk about stories, we talk about what makes investments attractive what is the story of of the investment but is it really a story or is it just like a, a resume or a cv that tells you this is this is the company have a look at it do you like it or don't you like it is it really a story that has a beginning and an end depends how you define story in the end you're looking at the company you're looking at the past you're looking at the present you're looking at the future you're looking at um, you know what the company is doing what it will do and how you can make money off that. Mm-hmm. And how mm-hmm. long is this? Is this one of those what, what's called the elevator pitch stories? Is this uh, like a short? Uh, a, is this a short story that's supposed to be that you're supposed to be able to tell about your company in uh, I don't know uh, a minute or or so uh, no, as the I elevator it's, uh, goes down? Not necessarily. I think an equity story or a credit story can be, um, you know said in an elevator but it's a, a, a bit of a separate term it's one of those terms that i guess bankers like to use that laymen don't really understand but i think um, it's not that complicated mm-hmm. so it's it's so that a company can can tell its story and get what in return what do they want when they tell the story well what companies typically want when they're growing is to get financing So at some point, in most companies' cases, a company will look um, externally for investors. It's difficult to really grow that much um, from own funds. So sooner or later, most companies will look either at um, debt or at equity financing. So here, investors will look at whether the company has a good equity story, meaning does it make it attractive for an equity investment? basically, or does it have a good credit story? Now, this doesn't apply just to small companies, does it? Because we've we've done some podcasts on small and medium-sized enterprises where we've talked about, you know, what kind of finance you get at a certain time. But this, a very big company would have to have a, an equity and a credit story. Absolutely. Just like a small company. Absolutely. 
Mm -hmm. So let's try and break it down a little bit. Alberto, tell us what would be the equity story. The equity story starts from uh, the point of view of an investor that is looking uh, mainly to the value of the company. So typically an equity investor would like to put one euro and get out 10 euros out of their investments uh, when they're going to exit this investment. So um, the equity story is mainly about the value of the company. So the equity story needs to have a uh, a potential happy ending in terms of an IPO or something that uh, the, that the investor can see that how that one year can turn into 10. Yes, absolutely. I mean, obviously, if we are talking of smaller companies, yes, it's an IPO story. If we are talking about larger companies that are already listed on a stock exchange, you are hoping these companies to continue to grow and generate more value. Mm-hmm. And with the but with the with the younger companies, with the smaller companies, do we help them develop their stories? Yes, of course. That's what, uh, as uh, an advisory team, we try to do. So we try to help companies to build their own stories so that they can use it with investors, with uh, externally, or even with with the EIB. Is there any kind of checklist for what should be in an equity story? For example, if you write um, a blog story, uh-huh. a journalistic story, or if you write a story, a fairy story, you know there's a beginning, there's a middle and an end. Are there similar points on the equity story that we could use as a template? Well, I don't think there is uh, one measure fit all, but I think there are elements that you you see across all the successful equity stories. So usually you would see that companies that have been able to raise equity, they usually um, show that uh, there is a strong management behind the company. Uh, Another element is uh, their um, market. So they can show that the market has significant growth opportunities and um, strong growth there. And uh, I guess finally, obviously, because everything in the end is related to the value of the company, that they have a business plan that shows that the company can actually grow significantly. So the more profit you make, the higher is the value at the end. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a combination of management, so uh, people skills and financial skills. But to me, uh, when, when we talk about investing, it, it always seems that uh, you know this is very black and white it's all a numbers game and this whole concept of stories it seems very kind of fluffy you know Uh, so and I was really um, I saw uh, an analyst uh, doing uh, an example of a valuation of Tesla and saying basically and he was saying that that the valuation of Tesla depends on the story that Tesla chooses to mm-hmm. tell about its company, like whether it says that their story is a technology story, or a car manufacturer story, or you know some something else, and whether whether it's an upmarket story or it's a mass market story, and depending on these different story options this analyst actually reached different valuations for Tesla's company, which to me is mind-boggling because it's still the same company, right? Yeah. And just depending on, on the, 
different stories, he reached very different conclusions on what Tesla should be worth. So how is that really, how is that possible in a, in the, in a world of black and white numbers? Well, um, investment bankers use um, a type of valuation method called the multiples method. Um, we're referring to the EV EBITDA multiple. So that's um, enterprise value over earnings before interest tax and depreciation. Um, in short, um, there are different multiples in different sectors. So let's say we're looking at the automotive sector. There will be a typical multiple at which these companies trade. So let's say that um, five times a BDA equals the enterprise value on average. When we're looking at tech companies, these typically trade at much higher multiples because they have, you know, there's uh, more confidence in the market that they will grow much faster. So the expectations of future value are higher. So I guess that would mm-hmm. explain why Tesla, which is in a way an automotive company, but also really forward thinking and innovative, may be valued higher than, let's say, you know, um, Peugeot. But but the credit story is different, right? So the, we talked about the equity story. The the the, the credit story is something uh, has different elements. Uh, yeah, I think the credit story is definitely different from uh, the equity story. We need to think of uh, the difference in investors that we are looking at. So usually, for the equity story, we are looking at more uh, um, venture capitalist or risk taker like private equity. Uh, For uh, the credit story, we are mainly looking to um, banks Mm -hmm. or uh, pension funds where they want to invest in uh, uh, safer investments to make sure that uh, at the end of uh, uh, our, uh, when people are going to retire, there's going to be sufficient money to pay pensions. So so what are the stories, what are the stories that bankers like to hear then? They, They like to hear stories of cash flow, right? Yes, exactly. I think the the main difference is that equity the equity story is mainly based on uh, value, mm-hmm. while the credit story is more focused on the stability of the cash flows and profit of a company. So obviously, usually um, lenders or uh, credit investors they tend to be, I guess, a bit more backwards looking so they tend to look more at what the company has done in the past as a proxy of what the company can do in the future while equity investors are obviously looking more at the future and uh, they they don't consider the necessary the the past of the company uh, as relevant as for the credit story Mm -hmm. so to use the example you gave earlier when you said the, the the equity story would be going from putting in one dollar and getting 10 back yes the credit story, how would that work there? You'd be putting in the $10 and getting back 11, 11. 12. So you wouldn't be looking for a big payoff. No. So it's a more of a, let's say, a more of a boring read. Yes. Let's say. <laughs> okay. If we keep bringing it back to stories that we actually are used to, to looking at. Okay. So the, the one thing that you've mentioned in your notes, which I thought was very interesting, because, of course, we should tell our listeners that the reason Alar and I sound halfway competent here is because we have notes. these guys gave us notes and told us what we should ask <laughs> them and say to them. And, uh, yeah, so we've given away all our secrets there. But, Paulina, you mentioned that uh, historically growth and profitability are the, the key of the equity story. So what does that really mean, growth and 
profitability? How do they work in the context of that story? Well, in financial terms, when you're talking about growth, most of the time you're talking about the growth of revenues. So let's say in year one, a company has um, revenues of $100. In year two, it's 105 That's a 5% revenue growth. So um, equity investors like to see high percentage growth over the years coming up. Um, the other thing we are talking about is profitability, which is measured in terms of margins. Um, a margin is basically profit or, or another measure of profit like EBIT or EBITDA divided by the revenues. Margins define how much money the company can make with a limited set of resources. So let's say I'm selling hot dogs and I buy them for $1 each. I sell them for $10. My margin is $9. That's great. But most hot dog stands will buy for $1, but only sell for free, $3. So their margin is $2. So what we're really trying to find are these companies that can buy cheap and sell expensive or basically have low costs, but be able to sell at a higher price. Now, you've used a, a phrase uh, or a term twice already, which... Uh, we're going to have to look at it a little bit more closely. It's almost like it's a podcast in itself, EBITDA. Yeah. That sounds great. So <laughs> earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Yeah. Go. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Can we have a separate podcast on oh, that? Oh, well, okay. All right. But just to, so, so that's just that's basically what a company makes upfront before they have to pay the taxes and deal with all their debt. Exactly. And all that well, that's the that's the eight dollars per hot dog, right? Before you start deducting the the salary of the the salesperson. Well, no, the no that's the salary is already deducted, right? But everything else is not deducted. Yet. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you guys will come back to do depreciation and amortization another time. No, wow. We'll... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just oh, maybe I can answer this shortly. Um, it's it's a really good measure of of looking at the company's standing. Because if you look at net profit, for example, which is after tax, um, there may be significant differences depending on where the company is based. A company may be paying very high taxes and therefore the net profit is quite low. But when you're um, a value investor, so an equity investor, in the end, you know, tax, depreciation, amortization are not that important to you. So you're looking at the earnings before accounting for those variables. Is there a parallel, Alberto, in the in the credit story to that that question of the the margins? If you're um, in a private equity investor, you want to have a, a big margin. What's the equivalent for our um, more boring credit credit story? Well, I mean, obviously the EBITDA, since we have introduced this complicated term. Yeah. Let's go with it. Uh, is, uh, is important also for lenders uh, because it's a measure to understand the ability of the, the, the borrower to repay the loan. So obviously it's, it's, it's really important also for lenders. I think what, is, um, what, what lenders would probably look, and this is probably different from an equity story, is more looking at the current EBITDA rather than the expected EBITDA. So they tend to look at what the company has been able to achieve today rather than what they are going to achieve in the future. 
So it seems to me that the, the, the credit story is more like, a, you know, a story that would begin with once upon a time. And an equity story is more like a, a dream kind looking of. forward, right? Kind uh-huh. of, yes. In a galaxy far, far away. Yes, yes. In a, it's just like a science fiction story <laughs> if, we're, if we're doing stories. I think mm. there's also one more difference between the two stories that is worth mentioning, which is the risk and the return. So equity investors are buying shares in the company. They are really invested. So they have a very high risk and they have high return expectations. Where by a bank or a lender is simply lending money to the company, which is much less risky, in fact, than buying shares of that company. But does that risk change the story in the sense that, again, let's bring it back to stories that people actually tend to sit and read. Um, you can have a very exciting story that's that's quite short and there's not maybe that much detail in it but the narrative takes you through and makes you feel excited but then if you want to read a history or a biography it might be 800 pages and it's got all the letters that this guy wrote to that guy and all the details in it so is a credit story um, a lot bigger and longer well i think what the, the way probably you can look at it is that the equity story is the first chapter of uh of your book while the credit story comes later on is probably chapter 10 of your book yeah that's a nice parallel great okay so i so, think we understand these stories a lot better now absolutely thanks for telling us the stories paulina and alberto thank you for having thank us thank you And they lived happily ever after. You still think that's how equity stories and credit stories end? Uh, Sure. I have a lot of faith in the economic future of Europe. Meanwhile, we'd love to hear from our listeners with their ideas for future episodes of our podcast. You can write a fairy story and post it as a thread of tweets to at EIBMatt, M-A-T-T. Or you can write an exciting thriller in chunks of 140 characters and post it to at AllRTankler. A-L-L-A-R-T-A-N-K-L-E-R. Or you could just write a regular sort of tweet if you're a traditional type. We'll be happy to hear from you anyway. All stories are good fun. And see you next time on A Dictionary of Finance.